Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. We love real estate, but there's one type of real estate that you may have never considered. It has cash flow, equity growth, and asset protection. And we'll talk about it today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. The votes are in, and this year's Investor Summit at Sea was a massive hit. Summiteers called it life-changing, far beyond expectations, which were very high, and the best summit yet. If you missed the vote this year, then make plans to join us in 2014. You'll spend an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals, and you'll have a blast. Join the Real Estate Guys for the 12th Annual Investor Summit. It all begins March 8, 2014 in Houston, Texas. Visit Real Estate Guys Radio and click the tab that says Summit to sign up for the advanced notice list. You'll get all the details the minute they get released so you can reserve your spot. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 12th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. It's safe to say that most of us could make a better cheeseburger than McDonald's. Pull up Google for the best recipe, buy the meat, fire up the grill, Voila. But there are only a handful of people that have created a business model and system like theirs. McDonald's is successful because of their system, not their food. The infinite banking concept is one of the best financial systems that has ever existed. It helped start the Pampered Chef, JCPenney, and Disney World, plus thousands of other businesses. Learn more about the infinite banking concept from our friends at Paradigm Life today by visiting www.beyourbank.com or by calling 1-800-870-8670. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me, as usual, co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. We've got a great show today, and we're going to talk about a type of real estate that we rarely, if ever, talk about. And it's one that uh, has a whole bunch of attributes that you might not ever thought about either. So as real estate investors, we typically think of investing in a property that has some sort of rent on it. People rent a house or they rent a store or they rent an office. But today we're going to talk about something even more base than that, and that is agricultural real estate. Yeah, uh, this is really an interesting topic. You know, probably, I don't know, a couple, three years ago, we had a guy we had interviewed who was selling, I think, shares in a fund that he was put together. But the basic concept was you buy a farm, a producing farm, you own a share of that. And if, you know, the world goes to heck in a handbasket, then uh, at least you have access to the produce of the land. You're first in line for food. And it kind of opened up our mind to this idea that, Wow, you know, there's this, all this talk about, you know, the debasing of the currency and the fragility of the banking systems. And you've seen what happened in Cyprus and what's going on in Poland. People worried about with the Fed tapering, not tapering, all that kind of stuff. And so if you're kind of thinking, hey, I, I'm a little bit concerned. I want to bring it down a little bit to the basics. Like we talk about some of the markets that, you know, we do the field trips to because these markets have lower price points and they have basic industries that are linked to the geography. So the concept of not being so cutting edge in your investing, but kind of getting back to the fundamentals, because at the end of the day, if the economy really starts to struggle a little bit, people jettison a lot of the peripheral stuff, the luxuries, and they kind of get back to basics. And so this farmland idea kind of stuck in the back of our mind. We're like, okay, well, and then in our travels, we travel to a lot of investment conferences. We meet a lot of different people. And one day we found ourselves out at an investment conference and there were these guys that had this concept 
And we thought, boy, that's interesting. Let's go to their seminar and see what they have to say. And, of course, we went to it, and it was very, very interesting. And uh, we've been kind of monitoring them ever since. We had Simon Black on the show a few months ago, and, of course, he is very much an investor in agricultural property. He also has done a lot of interesting research about the caloric needs of the world, how many calories we need to deliver to a growing population, and how many calories an acre of a particular crop generates. And if you do the math, and that's a lot of math to do, the, the short version is we're headed for trouble. There's not enough production of adequate resources to feed growing humanity. And so we're starting to see, and this has been going on for a long time, manipulation in that, just like everything else, not to get in the conspiracy factor, but the fact that people are engineering and genetically modifying foods. And part of that is because we've got to have enough food. So you start to look at, wait, wait a minute, how do you get yield out of property? Well, you buy a piece of land, you build a house on it, and someone pays to rent the house, so they live inside of it. But a way that farmers have been doing it for years is they buy a piece of land, and they nurture it, and they plant, and they water, and before you know it, they have a crop. Now, it's funny. You know, we started growing some lettuce and stuff in our garden, and it's like, oh, this is great because it's really good, and it's really fresh, and we didn't have to pay for it. Well, when you think about it, what the earth gives us and what God has created is for free, but it takes infrastructure and money and you got to loan the land and all that kind of stuff to come up with a yield. And for years, farmers in certain areas have done really well for a period of time. The challenge with the business of farming is very different than the ownership of real estate, and most farmers only operate in a particular crop. Well, if your crop is in the heyday and doing well, well, then everything's wonderful. Today, if you're farming something that people want to eat, you're going to do well. But what happens when it changes? And so getting your mind around agriculture, real estate takes just a little bit of effort. Yeah. We've been interested in this topic for quite some time for several different reasons. And in the course of our travels, we've had subsequent meetings with people who are in this space. And every step of the way, we learn a little bit. And we've gotten pretty good actual engagement from people in the audience who've requested more information about this topic. So we said, you know what, let's do a feature show on this particular topic and dig a little bit deeper. And that's what we got for you today. Yeah. So fascinating stuff. So uh, fasten your seatbelts and open your minds. If you're a real estate investor, you may not have thought of this angle before, but uh, before we're done, you may think, you know, it may make some sense to diversify or at least take the real estate you have now and start planting something there. Our guest is Anthony Archer. He's founder and chief executive officer of Liquid Investments. And what we like about Anthony is he comes from a real estate background. That is the lens he looks through. He likes real estate investing. He's been very involved in raising capital and so forth. And he also speaks a number of languages, which is uh, helpful. Uh, Anthony is from the UK. He spends a lot of time in New York, as well as has offices in Brazil and Panama. When we come back, you'll meet Anthony Archer today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Do you know what city was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February? It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors and a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash-flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. 
With conventional and non-conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real Real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloaded podcast on real estate investing. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. We are very excited about what's happening out there in the world with agricultural real estate, and our guest today knows quite a bit about that. Uh, His company is an investment company that sought out this particular niche a while back. We'll let him tell that story. Please welcome the founder and chief executive officer of Liquid Investments, Mr. Anthony Archer. How are you, Anthony? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Well, thanks for being on the show. We had an opportunity to have Wayne Kurtz on for just a little bit. He gave us a taste about what you guys are doing. But uh, paint us the big picture, if you will. We're seeing more people interested in investing in agricultural property. How did that get your attention? Um, Well, first and foremost, we are an investment company. Um, Our history has focused uh, a lot on real estate investing, typically. So for the last 14 years now, um, I've been working with various developers and joint venture partners across the world, raising money for your typical real estate investments, which were commercial real estate, office towers, or it could be residential, or even for hotels. And then in 2008, um, we saw the GFC, the global financial crisis, and it illustrated a lot of weaknesses in some of these markets. Um, In in the real estate market, generally, there was a lot of people got burned, some of the foreclosures in the U.S., etc. So the markets got hit quite badly and quite hard, particularly the Western markets. So uh, myself and my founding partner, Andrew, we decided to go and have a look and look for markets that will be the least affected um, by by the global financial crisis and some of the fastest to recover. And uh, so we we studied a few different countries from the BRIC nations. So we we went to Brazil for a second, but we went to Russia, um, India and China to see what the opportunities were there and how we might be able to benefit ourselves. And before you get you know, too in-depth with Russia, it's, it's very, very difficult, very, very corrupt, um, hard place to do business. And you've got India, which is no doubt an emerging powerhouse, but they have their ups and downs and you know, they have certain problems where you can invest in, but trying to get your returns out is difficult. And then our personal view on China, which is no doubt going to become a, you know, a major player on the you know, global scene, both in terms of politics and also, also finance. But there were issues with that. You know, your, your ownership rules to own freehold land or properties. Um, you can't own, own a business outright 100% very easily. And all these sort of issues that for us, 
we just felt it wasn't a win-win situation. So the last one that we looked at in the BRIC um, nations was Brazil. And Brazil is a very interesting country because it's a monster of a country. It has a huge population, and they're getting wealthier by the day. Um, there was a, a saying which was coined by an analyst at Goldman Sachs a few years ago that said, Brazil is the country of the future, and it always will be. Um, and I think what they were trying to illustrate that country of the future has wonderful potential. You know, the land, the gold reserves, gemstones, has a lot of oil that they've discovered off the south coast of Brazil. And when you look at all the resources, it should have always been much better than it was. Um, but there was a, a problem with Brazil in that the minority controlled the vast, vast majority of the wealth. And they were really just pillaging the country for what it was worth. They wouldn't lend money. They wouldn't spend it on the, the infrastructure improvements that the country needs. So it kind of held back Brazil you know, as, a, as a country for years, hence why you know, the second half of that saying, and it always will be, they never you know, fulfilled their potential. And then 2008 kind of changed the, the game, really, because we in the West, we had banks that overlent financial institutions that had just given themselves too much risk, overexposed. So we're all very well aware of now that the central banks were just creating money out of thin air and lending it out at 1%, 2 3%. And not worried so much if people don't pay it back because they'll just print off more. And this is what was going on and on and on. And we really lost sight of, of value investments. And it was just sort of a financial carousel going round and round. So we thought, okay, let's have a look and see how these countries differ. And with Brazil, we found that because of the greed of the minority, um, they hadn't invest, over-invested in their own country. They hadn't spent more money than they should have done on infrastructure and education, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they hadn't lent money through the banks because the interest rates were just too high that people simply couldn't afford to. So ironically then, when the rest of the world has overlent, overspent, um, and you know, you've got these debtors that can't pay it back and the responsible savers are now being penalized uh, for the irresponsibility of the borrowers, um, Brazil it just kind of stands out as very, very different because it doesn't have all of this debt. Um, it doesn't have a crisis of credit because there wasn't credit available for anybody. Now, so it's ironic, really, that the, the greed of the minority came to their rescue when the time of the, the Western dominance is, is being threatened. So we looked at that and we thought, well, Brazil would be identified as a country. So we, we still do some real estate investments as well, hotels and you know, commercial buildings, etc. But we started to have a look um, at agricultural products. First and foremost was for ourselves as a business, we wanted to invest in it. Um, because we saw the sense of it. And now, the, when people always ask me, they say, so what do you mean by the sense of investing in agriculture? And I guess it's that there's no safer way to invest than investing based upon the basic fundamental need of all human beings. You know, you can have luxury items, you can have real estate, you know, rental homes, etc. And they're all luxury items, but there is not one thing that a human being wants to do more than survive. And in order to survive, we need food, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So really, when you have an agricultural investment, you're backing this fundamental need of humanity. And then when you take into account that the first population is growing, you know, it shocks people when we talk about well, 1952, um, the world's population was two and a half million people. You know, up in 2013, we're over seven billion people. So it's gone from 2.5 billion to seven billion in this very, very short window. Um, and that that number is growing day in, day out, which again means that there are more human beings, there are more um, mammals to feed that need this food. 
um, and as the world becomes a richer place for the emerging markets, the diets change as well. So that puts even more pressure, even more burden to provide food for, for us as, as mankind. So really, when you take the fundamental there, there is no safer investment because we have to eat. It's not a luxury. You can't decide to eat less to buy more real estate or you can't decide to eat less to buy more clothes or shoes. You know, food has to come first. Um, and I'd probably couple that, I think, now with the demand for energy as well. You know, we're depleting the world of, of all its resources and we need to find sustainable alternatives. And I think that the world has become more conscious of this. So we identified it first and foremost for ourselves and thought, yep, this is something that we would like to do. We pushed this idea out to just a handful of our sort of select clients that we'd known for years, and the response has been phenomenal. So far, you know, the, the extent, about 85% of our business now is agriculture. Um, we're not, we don't come from an agricultural past, you know, exactly. We're more real estate and fixed assets. So when we go into agriculture, we go, well, how can we get this as similar to what we do when it comes to real estate? So we apply the same investment principles. Um, we have a hard asset to be the underlying security of our investments. But rather than, say, you know, having a, a, a rental yield from a commercial building, um, you'll have the yield from the actual plantations. Um, and this is the way that we structure things. This is the way we like to look at it. Um, and then when you couple that with Brazil, where you have the currency, the currency diversification, the huge growing populations getting wealthier by the day, we just found that, that all of these equations were in our favor. And, you know, apparently our, our clients think the same because here we are. You know, I think it's such an interesting point. We first met a group from your company uh, probably about a year ago. And one of the things that spoke to us as real estate guys was the real estate angle. It wasn't like the angle was, oh, invest in farming and producing vegetables. Well, oh, okay, yeah, I get the argument about food. That's absolutely critical. But the fact that your team comes from the real estate side is huge. And, and then you look at the crop you pick because any single food need, as you mentioned, people's diet changes. You know, when you look at agricultural yeah. land, you look at the seasons and the cycles and coming up yeah. with a product or products and you guys have diverse product range. I think it's also kind of a neat part of the story. Yeah. It's something that we're very proud of, you know, to be honest with you, because we found that we've, we've developed kind of an ingredient here or a recipe for something that's very, very successful. Because by focusing on investing in tangible alternatives, you have the security there, as I mentioned. But then you've got to look at where is your end market? How are you going to realize your returns? And quite often, you know, the smaller investors, the less experienced, they fail to really understand where the returns are going to come from. So we thought, well, if we take something like modern portfolio theory, which says you, you must diversify, you must have a series of uncorrelated assets. So you say, right, we need to diversify your currency. You need to diversify your geopolitical risk. And this is one that's often forgotten by us in the West, whether it be European or American, simply because we look at you know, political risk, oh, whether it's in Africa and other countries, like Asia, etc., that's where the political risk is. But for us in the West, we also have a major political risk, and that isn't that you know we're going to be overthrown and our democratic government's going to go tomorrow and we're going to have a, a bigot in place, but our political risk is linked to taxation. If you have you know, a government or a political party that's very, very determined, they've got to start raising more money somehow, they'll start raising taxes inevitably. Um, raising taxes and trying to lower spending has been the order of the day um, in these times of austerity in the West. Now, that's a political risk. So you do need to diversify um, and get away from some of those taxation risks because in a best-case scenario, if they raise taxes, you can make less money. 
And the worst case scenario, you can actually lose money because you'll be turned and negated. Um, and when you have you know, 5% inflation, but you're only getting 2%, 3% on your money, you're losing money every year. So the geopolitical um, diversification is also very, very important. So you have currency, geopolitical, and an asset class. Um, you want a series of un- completely uncorrelated assets, whether it be hard commodities such as metals or these soft commodities such as food, and then real estate, and also some equities. There's nothing wrong with equities. You just have to be very careful which ones you do and don't put your money in, um, and have a true balanced investment pyramid. And this is something that we, we really try to put across to our clients. And then once we've got to that stage, we say, okay, now is there another level of security that we can put in? We've got the hard asset. We've got the diversification away from those certain currencies. Um, we've got the, the geopolitical risk diversified. What else can we do to really shore this up? and make sure that this is as safe as it possibly can be, because preserving wealth has to be our first and foremost principle, and then building on that to bring in returns. So we thought, okay, if we've got a, a commodity that can be used for many different industries, then there is security there. If you have a product that becomes very successful, you know, it could be a fad, uh, and that doesn't necessarily just include you know, commodities, soft commodities, it could be anything, in this world, but if you have something that's got many different uses, if one demand is to drop slightly, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect all of them. So, for example, with our, our coconut plantations, once we started investigating coconuts, we were quite surprised and shocked by the amount of uses there were. We knew about coconut water. Um, you know, last time I saw a coconut before I got involved in, in this industry and in the plantations was on the beach like most people, and you a straw in it and you drink it. So we knew about that. Right. Then you have the coconut flesh um, as a food product. Again, most of us have eaten something with coconut in, whether it be a Thai curry or it be a chocolate bar or something. So we know that there's some food in there as well. And that really was about it. We didn't really know much more about the coconut than that. And once we started investigating it, we realized that, for example, Brita filters um, actually come, they're now made by using activated carbon that comes from coconut shells. And that's a huge market because it's not just the water filters that can have this um, activated carbon in. It could be nuclear filters in the future. It can be uh, catalytic converters for cars, for cigarettes, whatever it might be. It's been proven now that the coconut shell is the best form of activated carbon um, that you can get on a, on a large scale. So that's another use that we just didn't know about. Then you have the, uh, the husk or the outer shell, the softer shell. And some really interesting things have been done with this at the moment. Now, make them into pellets, and they can be burnt as a biofuel, for example. Um, you've also got people like Ford at the moment who are investigating using the, the husk from a coconut um, as a replacement for plastics in the vehicles. Now, this is one that really surprised us. Um, we hadn't thought about it at all. And then when we started investigating it, and if you actually get a coconut yourself and you try and rip it apart, the outer shell, it looks very much like fiberglass. So once you see that, you think, well, I can understand now how these fibers could be used a very similar way to fiberglass. So you start to see those uses. Then you have the oil, um, and the coconut oil can be used as a biofuel. Now, I'm not suggesting this is going to be the only biofuel the world's going to use, or or even the best. I don't know. But uh, Richard Branson actually flew a jumbo jet from London London to Amsterdam just to highlight and prove that you could fly a jet, a jumbo jet, not a small plane, um, on these biofuels, on these oils. So... That's a potential use in the future. We see how that one goes, but we look at that as more of medium to long term in the future. The other big use for coconut oil 
apart from the pharmaceutical products that use it, many skincare products, etc., that do use it, but also just to consume the oil for us as human beings. Um, it's very good for our metabolism, to speed up metabolism. Um, it's very good for our digestive system. And then one of the latest uses, which is being touted as a sort of almost a miracle cure at the moment, is coconut oil to help cure Alzheimer's. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and supporting evidence from doctors in particular um, that are saying that just by taking some, you know, a few teaspoons of coconut oil every single day, um, you can not only slow down the effects of Alzheimer's, you can reverse it. And this is done very unusually that the brain, when you have Alzheimer's, apparently stops absorbing the glucose into the brain cells. So coconut oil has something called ketones in it. And the brain will actually absorb the ketones, um, which helps it to absorb more glucose, but also just the ketones themselves help in the case of memory loss. So there's many, many studies now that have come along and saying, well, yes, potentially coconuts can cure Alzheimer's for, for most people. Like even like a medicine, it doesn't work to the same extent on the same extreme on every single patient. But there are lots and lots of examples now of people being cured from Alzheimer's just from you know, coconut oil. Who, who would have thought that you know, a basic oil from, from a coconut um, would be able to do these sort of miraculous works? But it's very, very interesting. And it, you know, A, we like the product because it's good for humanity, it's good for mankind, and it's green, sustainable. Um, and B, from a pure capitalist point of view, you have all of these different industries buying one raw product. So you're not going to get this oversupply very quickly because you have too many industries trying to buy it. Um, and if the returns drop from one or two, it doesn't really matter because we lost count at over 50 different uses. When we first started learning about co- I've had the same thing, right? You, you can figure a couple of uses. And it just so happens that timing-wise, coconut water is a hot trend right now. I mean, you guys caught that really well. I don't know if that's by design or by accident, but you see more coconut water drinks uh, today than you than you have. But to your point, that may be a short-lasting you know, fad, if you will. Meanwhile, there's all these other long-term sustainable uses, and the list probably goes on beyond things we can even think of. Exactly, exactly. You know, the, the coconut water is the fastest-growing soft beverage in the world at the moment. Yeah. And it is phenomenal when you read some of the studies that are happening. So Bloomberg did a, a wonderful interview with the founders of um, Vitacoco, what you guys would, would say, Vitacoco, um, and how they got started and the story of success so far. And they turn over now, I believe, in excess of $25 million a month in coconut water. And that's just one company. This is a, a really shocking fact, actually. When I, I talk to people and I say, would well, you know who the two of the largest coconut farmers um, in Brazil in this day and age? Every single person that I've met in the West knows these two companies. And people sit there completely dumbfounded, like, oh, it's impossible. How do I know a coconut water company? Um, they're the largest coconut farmers in Brazil, and it's Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Wow. Um, and that is purely for the water. That's why they're farming it, because it's grown at such a phenomenal rate. And then you have Vitacoco, like I say, which is privately owned by two guys originally that started it. Um, and they've partnered up with uh, Dr. Pepper Snapple uh, for distribution across the U.S. Now, they're doing phenomenally well, selling over $25 billion plus dollars a month. It's astonishing for a small company that started with two young guys in their 30s. Uh, I think it was in 2003, 2003 or 2004 that they launched. Um, but again, you know, like I said, there's some amazing interviews out there. If you, if you Google them or YouTube them, Bloomberg them, you'll, you'll find some really interesting facts about them. But, again, you know, that's just one market. And you say, well, there's a market there that's worth billions going forward. 
Um, but that's just one of the markets. And this is what really attracts us. It's the security of having so many different industries all competing for that same raw product, which just so happens to be a humble coconut. When we first heard about coconut as a form of investment, it took us completely by surprise. And, you know, we didn't take it seriously. And it was only once we started to investigate the uses, it makes such logical sense. But it escaped most of us because at the beginning, we were just used to coconut water. We didn't really see any other future in it. Even though the drink was growing, we just saw one produce. It's only when we saw all these different uses that we realized the true value of what we had. All right. Well, no doubt people have learned more about coconuts so far on the show than they probably expected to. When we come back, we're going to learn how does that translate into an investment for real estate investors. Lots of great stuff. We're also going to play real estate trivia when we come back. Our guest is Anthony Archer. We're talking agricultural real estate investing today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Here's a real estate trivia question for you. What does Elvis Presley's famous mansion, Graceland, and affordable positive cash flow turnkey real estate investing have in common? Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee is home to both Graceland and Terry Kerr's Mid-South home buyers. Terry specializes in trouble-free turnkey rental properties. Turnkey means Terry finds, fixes, rents, and manages the property. So all you have to do is put it in your portfolio and collect the checks. It's plug and play. That's music to my ears. Call Terry and his team at Mid-South Home Buyers at 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Strong rents, low maintenance expenses, and long-term tenancy equals more profit for you. Sound good? Discover Texas Investor Homes Build to Rent program in Houston, Texas. Houston was recently named the top job creation market in the U.S. And when you buy a brand new, ready-to-rent home, you get top rents, longer-term tenancy, and a builder's home warranty to keep expenses down. It doesn't get any better than that. To watch a short webinar with all the details, send your email request to buildtorent at realestateguysradio.com and we'll send you a link. That's Bill to Rent at realestateguysradio.com or visit the resource section of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Lawrence Yuan, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program heard every weekend on this fine radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. Tell a friend and be sure to subscribe to our iTunes podcast. You can stay up to date with real estate investing. We are learning about coconuts and the bigger picture agricultural real estate. Before we get back to the interview with Anthony Archer, let's play real estate trivia. Every week we ask you a real estate trivia question, which has something to do with real estate. This week it has to do with Brazil, in fact. So in just a minute, I'll ask you that question. As soon as you think you know the answer or want to take a guess, send us your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to win a copy of Dave Leniger's great book called My Next Step. Dave is the founder of Remax and has an extraordinary story laid out in this book, My Next Step. That can be yours. All right, here's our trivia question for today. Brazil has the highest population of any country in South America. What country is number two? So on a list of countries in South America, Brazil number one in population, what's number two? It's a distant number two, but what's number two? If you think you know, I want to take a guess. 
quickly fire off an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and mailing address so that if you're the winner, we can send you the book. That is today's real estate trivia question. We're talking agriculture and coconuts with Anthony Archer. You know, Anthony, it's amazing as you look at the agricultural play in real estate, which is to take yield out of the land. It's not that different from apartment investing where the yield comes from the building I put on the land. But part of picking a crop, and we've certainly talked about the amazing uses of coconut, but part of it also has to be the cost to do, right? What does it cost to harvest and how long the crop will last? I was amazed to learn just how long coconut trees can be productive. Absolutely. The fact that we come from a real estate investment background, so we structured things and we look for products that are similar to what we know about. Um, With real estate, what attracts us all really, historically, has been that first and foremost, we get a hard asset. This isn't going to disappear. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's not like investing in a stock in a company that may suffer and go out of business. Your, you know, your real estate, unless you have a, a terrible event, is going to still be there. Your bricks and mortar are going to continue to stay there and forevermore, or for at least as long as you maintain it. With land, it's even more so, because with land, the one thing they can't do is make any more of it, unless we start trying to farm the sun uh, right. on planet Mars or something. So they're making no more land. And also on the supply and demand side, you've got the problems that the arable land percentage is actually decreasing in a lot of Western countries. And we're used, losing the size of the United Kingdom every single day of arable land as we've been over-farming it, putting too many chemicals on it, etc. So this is causing a, an undersupply. So first of all, you've got the asset much like it would a real estate investment. And then we just try to encourage our clients that have been with us for a few years and invested in a, a lot of real estate Think of this as almost like a buy-to-let investment. You buy a property, you put some tenants in, they pay the rent, and you take the yields. With agricultural investments, you buy the land, you have the fixed asset, but rather than having tenants, um, you just have the yield from the crop. Now, of course, you have to farm this, you have to maintain it, you have to make sure that it's looked after and it's kept productive, and you don't get attacked by pests, etc. as well. So we thought, okay, what is a crop that we can harvest that would deliver a good yield, but also a low-risk crop. Um, you know, I wasn't you know, about to try and take some of my money or my clients' funds or our company's funds and go and put it into a, you know, a winery because, to me, it's too high risk. You, know, you can have a lot of pests that can attack some of these products. And for us, as we were new to the market, we were new to agriculture, we wanted something that was very sturdy and very strong, first and foremost. So we spoke to the, the experts in the field. And before they answered my question, when we were talking about pests, for example, or threats to it, they turned around and said, well, when was the last time you saw a coconut tree, Anthony? And I said, well, obviously on a beach. I was probably in the Caribbean or somewhere. And they said, now, did you see anybody do anything for that tree other than just climb it and take the coconuts from it? Did you see anybody spraying the pesticide? Did you see anybody feeding the tree or giving it nutrients or anything else? Right. And my answer was just a very, very straightforward no. And saying, well, you must understand, first and foremost, that coconut trees are a very hardy species. I say, yes, we do need to look after them. We do need to feed them nutrients if we're doing this on a large scale. We need to make sure they don't get attacked by pests. But they say that the the attacks on coconut trees generally, if it's a pest that will attack it, won't actually kill the tree. It will just damage its productivity. So your worst-case scenario is more than likely going to be that you get a little bit less of a yield than what you wanted or what you hoped for. But we do use um, pesticides. Um, we use a very organic pesticide. Uh, we don't use chemicals on them. Um, but then you have you know, a, a strong, strong tree. It's, it's, not a, it's not a vineyard. It's not something that could 
you know, suffer easily. This is a strong, hardy tree where if you plant it and come back 60 years later, chances are this tree is still there and it's still producing. So that, first and foremost, because we weren't agriculture guys, we were, we were investment guys, that appealed to us. That was our sort of number one question ticked off the box. And then we said, okay, how about productivity? How often do you harvest them? How is it done? What we like about coconut trees is that you harvest them every 35 days. So you get a, a harvest all the way through the year. It's not something you just have one harvest a year. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Um, over you know, 11 harvests in a year, you're getting a good balanced harvest. The years don't really vary too much from one year to the next. The other one that we, we also considered was, okay, what about natural hazards? So we looked at Brazil and we started investigating what are the chances of having a natural disaster up in the north of Brazil. And the northeast of Brazil, where we are, which is really the coconut-growing country for, uh, for Brazil because the south doesn't have the same climate, so it's not, not warm enough to have coconut plantations down in the south too often. Um, so we thought, okay, let's have a look there. Since records began, there's been no natural disaster in the north of Brazil. So again, that's another tick in the box. Um, and then, as I previously just mentioned, you have a tree that will continue to produce um, between 40 and 80 years, depending on the type of tree. And you know, we, we have a, an agricultural investment partner in, in our project out in Brazil. They're the agricultural farmers. They're the ones that handle the day-to-day. So we have this joint venture partner. Um, we raise the capital, and we control the purse strings. So when we're talking about implementing projects and maintaining and the machinery you might need, etc., we control those purse strings and the, uh, the agricultural JV partner comes to us and says, we'd like to do this, we'd like to do that. But I think it's very important to know that our investors aren't giving their funds to a Brazilian coconut farmer and expecting him to be you know, good at investing and good at bookkeeping. Um, you know, the money is coming to us, we control the money, and then we outlay for what needs to be paid for. And I think most of our, our clients take a lot of comfort from that, to know that the money is going to a Western company that has offices in Brazil, also in Knightsbridge in London, um, and a little office in Panama as well. But it's good to know. I think it's reassuring for people to know that the people controlling the money are, are British and American. Absolutely. I think it's also critical to know that the people who are harvesting the coconuts aren't from the U.K. and Canada and the U.S., exactly. right? It's locals who really understand the process, and you guys have built a pretty amazing team down there. Yeah, we, we have a, a wonderful joint venture partner. Uh, it's, a, a, it's a family, really. It's a business that's owned by a family. Like a lot of the big businesses in Brazil, they have a, somewhere in the region of 175 to 200 manual workers um, that help farm our plantations, some of their own plantations, etc. But they've got 35 years' experience in doing this. So there isn't really a lot that this family doesn't know, particularly the, uh, the father. It's the father and his two sons that run the business. Um, the father himself started it 35 years ago, as I said. His right-hand man is the, the foremost expert on coconut farming in Brazil, um, a chap called Dr. Wilson is very highly published and a professor of agronomy, etc. And then the father, Laiachi Gurgil, he's a wonderful guy and a wonderful human being, first and foremost. You know, he's 71 years old, he's as fit as a fiddle, um, has no plans to retire anything soon, because that was one of the questions we wanted to ask. And we, we affectionately refer to him as, as Don Coco, because he really <laughs> is the godfather for coconut farming in Brazil. And so he's a, a wonderful guy and a great character. And when we first approached them, we, we wanted to bring them in as joint venture partners. And they said, look, we know you guys a little bit because you come over. I speak Portuguese and Spanish. And my business partner, Andrew, the founding partner with me, he also does. 
uh, which is very, very fortunate when you're trying to do business in South America. And he said, I do look like you guys, but at the same time, I have a 35-year history that my company name has been associated with. I don't want to risk it right. to go into partnership with some, some foreigners, some British guys. So after a couple of years of them just being an outsourced company that we were just paying, we reapproached the idea because we got to know the family very well and the sons, etc. And they got to see our business model and how we were progressing and that we were delivering everything that we said we would. Um, and we didn't make them wait for any money, or any, any fees that they were due or any costs. So they liked the way that we did business, very organized, very structured. So eventually, um, they agreed to be joint venture partners with us. So that happened at the start of this year. So they went from an outsourced company to JV partners. And like you say, it's very, very important that you don't just have some Westerners that think they can go and start farming in Brazil on a product that they didn't know two years ago, well, four years ago now, in fact, probably didn't know four years ago, and somehow managed to pull this off. That's not what we're trying to do. Um, we're very aware that we're investment guys. We raise capital, and we look at all the fundamentals behind it, but we do need people on the ground that understand the day-to-day -day farming techniques, that they're overseeing everything, that help with you know, licensing that you need and irrigation systems that need to be implemented and all these sorts of things that you know I know a fair amount about now. Um, but you know, four years ago, I was just interested in, in commercial and residential real estate hotels. So I don't claim to be a, you know, a, a coconut farmer or any farmer for that matter, although I do own one check shirt, but I don't think that qualifies me as a, as a farmer just yet. <laughs> Well, you know, I think, Anthony, a lot of our listeners are real estate investors. They can relate to having a property manager who is the one who interfaces with the tenants and, and handles the business of the property. It's really the same thing. You've got the operator, your partner now, who is able to run that part of the business. But let's talk about the financial model because I think this is what's fascinating. It's not like people invest into a stock company that grows coconuts. Instead, this really is a real estate investment. Yeah, I think this really stems from um, the situation in 2008 with the financial crisis. A lot of people got burnt in the market. Um, they wanted the, the hard asset security and safety of owning something. Um, and that's why real estate historically has done very well for that very reason. You know, we have a saying in the UK, you know, it's as safe as houses. Um, or, you know, the safe as bricks and mortar. Yep. Because that's what it is. It's, it's a full asset. You can go. It's, it's still going to be there. It's not going anywhere. And the same with this. We decided the way we were going to structure this was to actually give the, the rights to land. Sometimes it's leasehold, so it might be a 99-year lease, for example. And sometimes it's freehold, depending on where it is, what it is, and how much you're investing into the project. But you own the asset. It's yours. Uh, it's always going to be yours, whether it's a leasehold that renews every 99 years or whether it's freehold land where you actually have the title, that's yours then, and that's always going to be yours. You have a separate management agreement that authorizes us to manage that plantation for you, us and our joint venture partners, obviously. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're right. It's much like owning a real estate property, whether it be a commercial property that you then lease out the businesses, or whether it's a, you know, a, a residential where you own an apartment and you have tenants, and you have a building manager. The building manager is the Brazilian arm, which is our joint venture partners, the asset is owned by the actual uh, investor themselves. And then what we do is we would charge a fee much in the same way that a letting agent or a managing agent would charge a fee to look after your, your buy-to-let investment um, and to maintain it for you and deal with any problems, deal with all the maintenance. Well, that's what we do. So with, what we do is we take care of everything from the, the, the pro buying process in Brazil to registering for uh, your tax ID number, 
um, to transferring your titles. We walk you step by step, hold your hands, go through all the process for you, do as much as we can ourselves, and really just try and get all the right documents signed by our investors. But they take ownership of the asset. And then we farm it for them. Um, and then when it comes down to after the harvest and after some maintenance fees that we need to have and machinery that needs to be updated, irrigation systems, etc., that might need to be replaced um, over the years. But after that, what's left, we just do a simple 70-30 split between our investors and ourselves, but our investors obviously take in the lion's share, the 70%. But you're exactly right. It's much like having a property manager um, that takes a fee for, for his services. Now, I know that you guys are uh, both investing in existing farmland that has coconuts as well as growing some coconut uh, trees from the ground up and so forth. Uh, and now that you've got some experience in this under under your belt, obviously every real estate investment is going to be based on the production of the, of the land, especially in agricultural. But can you give us yeah. a sense of, of what the returns kind of look like, minimum investment size, and uh, how much land are people buying and those kinds of things? Okay. The basics of it are, like you say, there are two forms of investing where you can invest almost like an off-plan real estate project where we have the asset, which is the land, but the project needs to be implemented much like a building needs to be needs to grow out of the ground. So you need to build the brick, bricks and mortar, but us, you need to plant the trees, the irrigation systems, etc., pump houses, um, infrastructure in terms of your road network, etc., has to go in. So if you invest on that level, then you have to wait three years before you start seeing some return. Um, because the trees have to grow and they have to become productive. Yep. Then there's the, the alternative where some people that's just t- too high risk or people need to invest in something and see the returns from day one. So we found an opportunity, and it's very difficult because coconut plantations, like a lot of plantations or a lot of development, you have to get a really good one if you're buying something that's existing. Because with agriculture, if your trees aren't managed or your crop isn't managed properly from day one, you know, if they are not fed properly with the amount of water that they need or the nutrients aren't being given to the trees, etc., you'll never reach maximum productivity. Once they, they, they drop off, you can encourage them, but you'll never get to, to maximum uh, productivity. So we turned down most of the upper money plantations that were offered for that very reason. Um, but occasionally you get a, a circumstance where it really is a, a great, well-run plantation, and it could be through a death in the family where you know, the father or grandfather passes away and the children don't want it, don't want the asset because they're, they're city folks now. You know, Jim Rogers and some other people have been talking a lot recently about how the age of farmers is becoming you know, a challenge because the farmers are getting older and older and all the youngsters are going and studying for MBAs and not studying in agriculture. Uh, and that's you know, true the world over. So occasionally we'll get something where it's a, a good project and we'll have you know, the, the ability to go in and buy it and then help investors to take smaller chunks of it um, and they'll start getting returns on day one. And, you know, the expectations are going on on, you know, on the previous years. They'll get between, you know, as a worst-case scenario, sort of 10% yields. And it could be as high as 12, 14, depending on what happens in the market, how you know, demand increases. Uh, and also your currencies, if the Brazilian real gets stronger um, against the dollar. And I think most people who agree now that with all the quantitative easing, the dollar, the sterling and the euro you know, are suffering and their value is dropping. Now, currencies do go up and down, um, but I think if the currency drops 10, 15, 20%, who knows? Um, with the US dollar, it could be more. I know a lot of people uh, speculating it could be a lot more than that. But even just by having the investment in different currency, you're going to make money as well as the actual yields. But from the yield standpoint, it's sort of 10 to 14% is what you should expect of the up and running. Um, if you buy something where you wait for three years, 
And then obviously you're just paying for costs or you're implementing, you're you know, we're building the networks. We can buy these for a little bit cheaper, much like if you if you bought a real, real estate apartment or commercial unit off plan, you'll get a discounted rate because you're buying it off plan. Right. Uh, it's much the same with, with this product as it is any other. You can invest as little as 60000 for something which is off plan and you know, start at 80, 85, I think it is now, for the, uh, for the project we have. We have this unusual project um, called Santa Rita, which has 20 old trees that have still got at least another 40 years of productivity left in them, of good productivity, um, which is owned by Tebra, which is our joint venture partner. Um, they're just selling some of their up-and-running plantations because they want to expand their nurseries and their ability to supply more trees. And one of the reasons why they want to be able to do that is because we need more trees. And they don't want us to go to anyone else to buy our young saplings and young trees. Right. So they're beefing up their own plantations to help with that supply. So they said, well, look, we've got some here that we could probably sell. It's, it's not a huge amount. It's only 100 hectares, which is about 250 acres. Um, and they're saying, well, we could sell that uh, to some of the investors in order to raise the money to do out the things, which is great. Because we know that that plantation has been run you know, absolutely perfectly for its entire life. Because this is the foremost number one coconut company in the whole of Brazil. After all, um, so we have that opportunity. You know, talking about the sort of average investment from our client, like I say, it starts at sixty thousand. Most of our clients now are between two fifty and a million dollars. I think that as our experience is larger and our model is being proven more and more, um, the amount that our clients are willing to invest in us or in our projects it is just increasing naturally because they see you know projects being implemented, they see the model being proven. We see receipts of what we're getting for, for the crop that we're selling at the moment. So the risk uh, level goes down. Well, I like the fact that there's two different ways to invest, right? If you need cash flow right away, and there's certainly investors that are looking to turn a stack of money into monthly cash flow, which you have Absolutely. a solution for that. But but like in our world, we look at people that invest in a real estate development, you know, the off-plan kind of deal, where for the first few years while it's being built, there's not going to be any income. But then you're going to have a, a great product that uh, yields cash flow or you, you perhaps could sell. And, and that's yeah. really the investment. And so that's kind of the angle for the, the newer part of that. And I would think that that would make sense for people who maybe have money in a retirement account or something like that. Are those folks eligible to invest with you? Yeah, we're actually finding that more and more of our client base, particularly Americans, we, we, for some reason we have about 85% of our clients, 83% maybe, um, of our clients are U.S.-based. Um, I think that's partly just for the appetite um, at the moment from U.S. to diversify from U.S. citizens, um, but also that you're very familiar with South America. It's a lot closer to, to you, and I think it's something you're more familiar with. But out of that percentage of, of American clients, I would say something like 35% now. Uh, it's just a ballpark figure. It's not 100% right, but around about 35% are investing through their IRAs, through self-directed IRAs. And again, like you say, they look at the pension systems in the West and go, well, am I really going to get the lifestyle that I want by investing in the same thing as I have before? And the answer in most cases is, well, no you're not going to be able to afford that lifestyle. So they've got to start looking for alternatives. And this is what we are, really. We're an alternative investment company. And we give them alternative, and they say, okay, fine. You know, I'm getting closer to retirement age, or maybe they've, you know, they've got grandchildren they want to put through high, uh, high school and through university, so they want the yields. Well, then they can invest, like I say, starting at around about 80,000 US dollars, and they can start getting 10 to 14% yield, depending on how the markets go, from day one. Um, and we just simply do it twice a year. We give them a payment, 
um, with a breakdown every single month so they can see what is being harvested from their land. Um, and it's up and running. Then you get the, the other type, which are maybe investors that don't really want the yields yet or don't need the yields yet, and saying, well, if I will get stronger returns, then I'll wait for three years. No, I don't mind. Um, again, even in their pensions, we have some clients say, well, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've still got a few years left before I need to pay my pension, but I would like to, to buy some of this asset, have some of the capital appreciation, much like you would be buying an off-plan real estate development, um, and then the yields going on from that. So they'll invest that way. So they, both of these two options are very open for them. And I think anybody that has invested in real estate um, off-plan or existing in the past should kind of understand that it. it's not massively different from, from what they've done in the past. No, there are so many similarities. You just have to get your mind around, first of all, kind of the basic understanding that agricultural real estate, like apartments, serves a basic human need. And there's more people coming and there's no more land. I think that's a good way to look at it. Well, this has been great stuff, Anthony. Thank you so much for uh, your time uh, today. This has been uh, illuminating. All right. Anthony has put together a great report for the listeners that outlines a couple of the things that he's talked about today and a couple of other tidbits. So when we come back from our break, we'll tell you how do you get a copy of that. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way to ensure that 2014 is your best year yet? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You, too, can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2014 Goals Retreat, January 10th to 12th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend event has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2014 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723, extension 18, today. Hello, I'm Herman Kane, and you are listening to the Dynamic Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show, and especially those of you who have your mind open now to agricultural real estate. Boy, Anthony is a great guest. You don't have to ask too many questions. No, no. I mean, you can tell he knows this stuff cold, and it's great. I actually had never spoken directly to Anthony before. We'd seen uh, some of his guys talking at some of the shows we've been to. And Met was, his brother. And his brother. So it was great information, um, but it was really, uh, really refreshing to hear uh, directly from Anthony and hearing what he has to say, kind of as the CEO of the company. Uh, a couple of things that stood out to me that I thought were great, because it's really not as complicated maybe as I thought it was going to be. You own land. 
You buy the land and you own it outright. And you own it outright. So that's great. And I get that. International diversification, obviously, we've been active in Belize. We get that. We understand the value of that. That makes a ton of sense. Brazil, very strong economy. Yeah. We went to the International Congress a few years back and we had uh, delegates from Brazil talking about the Brazilian economy and how strong it was. And everybody's been talking about the BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China as these emerging economies, which you could make the argument are becoming really the dominant economies. And there's a kind of a changing of the guard, but that's a different discussion. So that made sense. And then the notion of the the coconut trees really being like the tenants. And then it's almost like you're signing a commercial lease for like, what do you say? They produce 40 to 80 years, Yeah, 40 to 80 years. So you put a tenant in your property and it's going to pay you rent in the form of coconuts here for 40 years. Yeah. And how many of those years are they going to be calling to complain about the building or the management or anything? Yeah, and then and then you're you're the guy running the farm operation. He's like your property manager. He's the guy that actually takes care of the tenants and collects the rent. So when I had it in my mind that way, as I'm listening to him talk, I'm like, okay, that that makes sense to me. I get how it works as real estate. It it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And then the part that was really fascinating to me, and this was my first impression the first time I heard these uh, these guys talk about their their concept is the commodity of a coconut and really how versatile it is. And then, you know, as we talked about at the top of the show in an uncertain time, how it can be a good idea to just get it down to the basic fundamental needs of human existence. I would have never picked the coconut from a list of foods that I would say, Hey, that's, that's one that I think would be a great investment. But after learning more about it, it's like, wow, it's got to be on your short list. I mean, that is a very versatile commodity. Yeah, it is. And I think there's something about the diversification through a marketplace, through a currency, through a product type that just makes sense today. So really the purpose of today's show isn't to sell you on coconuts. It's to open up your mind to think there's more than one way to be a real estate investor. But a lot of his interesting to me that that 85% of his existing client base who were investing in syndications to big buildings in the UK said, oh, yeah, we'll we'll do that, right? It right. took some educating, but for them to go, okay, I, I get that. So diversifying through real estate, a lot of ways to do that. So, yeah, this is such an interesting topic. We were sure that our audience was going to be interested in it because we found it so interesting. So we're very interested in hearing your feedback uh, on the show. Tell us what you think on the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Absolutely. And uh, Anthony's put together a great report. It has a lot of the ins and outs of investing in agriculture and, of course, talks about not only coconuts, but they have another crop as well, which is very interesting. So you can learn all that by sending an email to coconuts at realestateguysradio.com. That's pretty easy. Coconuts at realestateguysradio.com. And uh, just like that, we'll send out the report to you so you can learn more about it. Hey, be sure to join us for an upcoming field trip. We think a great way to see a real estate market and understand it is to spend time with people who will live there, work the area, know the area, and with professional real estate investors. So go to our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on the tab that says events. You'll learn all about our upcoming field trips, plus the other cool events we do. Can't wait to meet you in person. We've got a great show for you next week, but you got to wait until then to hear it. Between now and then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. 
Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.